20th Century Geek is part of Britpod Scene, a network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or follow Britpod Scene on Twitter to find out more. I'm Scott Weatherly. Welcome to 20th Century Geek. Okay, so welcome listeners. Uh, for, for old listeners, welcome. Uh, and for new listeners, welcome to the party. Uh, we're doing something a bit different for August. Uh, I've usually do a fortnightly podcast, but being the summer holidays, I thought I'd do something a little different. I'm trying to do one a week. Uh, and more than that, I'm doing co-hosters' choice. So you're probably going to hear some similar, sorry, similar, familiar voices. Uh, I've got uh, my friend Mike... Uh, Kim, uh, the guys from Super Shakes are coming on, and every topic we're going to cover is going to be their choice. Uh, but I'm kicking off with something a little bit special um, this month. So it's August is kicking off with something from across the pond, uh, and I'm going to introduce Ori from uh, a company called Dragon Fruit. Hello, Hello Ori. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you for coming on. It's fantastic. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself and uh, and uh, Dragon Fruit? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I am Ori. Hello. Uh, calling you all the way from New York City, which is far less exciting than it sounds. <laughs> um, and uh, I founded uh, Dragonfruit a um, couple years back now. Uh, we are the free dating app for geeks. And um, our goal really is to create a community of like-minded people and get people chatting to each other in their... Uh, in their areas and around the world and uh, hopefully have some sparks fly and see if we can't make a few people happy on the way. Um, the the idea behind it essentially is, first of all, there's a massive gap where for some reason the internet, despite having been invented by and largely controlled by geeks, didn't really have any dating uh, service app, whatever you want to call it, uh, especially for us. And um, and so we decided to sort of move into that uh, into that space and think about what it is that geeks actually care about, and we developed a pretty cool um, matching engine that uh, takes into account all kinds of things about you, but most importantly, the things that you're into, which uh, is very helpful to you know get the conversation going and mm. make sure that you have at least something in common before you before you really you know dive into it and it, it just kind of removes all the awkwardness knowing that you're speaking to like-minded people um and so yeah i highly recommend you checking it out uh, you can you can find us uh you know, available for free as i said um on the uh ios app store and on google play and uh also a web version at dragonfruitapp.com okay i should say um I've had a, I had a look at it, I googled it and had a look at it and all that sort of thing. So uh, I had to have a conversation with my wife beforehand, uh, <laughs> just, just to explain why I was looking at a, a dating app for geeks. Um, but it's good. It's a really it's a really sort of quite intuitive piece of kit. It's a good website. It's a good uh, good app. And uh, it's honestly in uh, several conversations I've had since uh, you and I first had our conversation of the week. I know at least three people that have uh, sort of gone oh, re- really. Oh, so what's it called? 
Uh, so you've probably got three more accounts at least from that. So it's a fantastic oh. idea. Um, uh, cheers. Yeah, most people, most people look at me askance and go, "Damn you! I should have thought of that." It, um. <laughs> it's so true. I can't believe it didn't exist. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, one of the things one of the things that we were trying to do is sort of create a, a much more honest experience. Um, I, I'll I'll fess up here and say that um, there have been. Um, you know, geek dating, if you Google just those words, you will find other things on the internet. Mm. Um, but, and, and I, you know, my, my idea came independently of that, but, uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. But what we were trying to do really is to be as, um, as, as tailored as possible to the geek experience. And when I was doing my sort of opposition research to see what else was out there and whether there was any any room for me to maneuver in the market, I found that the vast majority of um, things that, you know, that, that, that build themselves as, you know, geek dating is just sort of a skin mounted onto some prepackaged software that, mm. you know, they stick the word geek on it and there's nothing really else to it. So really, um, we, we designed the whole thing from scratch, from the bottom up. And the question in the forefront of our minds was always, all right, how do we... Uh, make this reflect our experience by by we i mean me and my extremely geeky friends <laughs> and you know how how can we what would we want out of it if, mm. if this is you know uh because there are so many terribly annoying things on the internet and we were like all right here's a list of things that we absolutely will not abide and so you know that's that's kind of where that was our um our design ethos that and to be as easy as possible to use which hopefully we've achieved um but it was just you know try to do it right yeah yeah and that's that's the hope well it's, it's that thing i say it's it's by geeks for geeks really absolutely that's so, our tagline yeah so it's uh <laughs> it's perfect it works well. I, I do think you know it will hopefully help it's funny because i know um I've been to a number of, you know, like conventions and other things, geek related and, you know, nerd related. And the amount of times you go and you sort of, um, you see the awkwardness of people meeting and uh, those first couple of conversations around, you know, um, what people are into and that sort of thing. And even within like, the geek community, it can be a bit of a minefield. It, it absolutely can. And, you know, I think, well, two things about that. The first one of the things that really made me believe that this idea could be a success is from going to conventions and having uh, all of my expectations just completely blown away. You know, I was I was so pleased and so surprised to find that everybody I was meeting, and I was meeting so many people just, you know, chatting and sort of, oh, you know, your costume's amazing and whatever, were these intelligent, friendly, gregarious, mm. talented people who, I mean, were so much more normal than a lifetime of negative stereotyping had led me to believe, right? I wasn't involved in any kind of community uh, when I was growing up. I, I grew up sort of between the UK and Switzerland, which is why I sound a bit odd. And 
And, and, and there was no real outlet for me and my geekiness. So I did it all sort of on my own, in my corner, you know. Uh, my, my family would, you know, we would watch Star Trek together and things like that. And I had always derived some kind of sense of shame from it because that's kind of how our culture has treated geekiness as a... Uh, you know, as a lifestyle. Mm. And so when I, when I was in the States and I started my, my very first convention, I was like, oh God, I've seen this on TV. I know exactly what to expect. This is going to be wretched. And I suddenly discovered that there is actually a community out there that's brilliant. Mm. And that has been my, um, and that's been my experience ever since. It was just my own sort of self-imposed isolation that meant that I never really had a chance to to observe anything other than what was being shoved down my throat by by television and and, and films, you know, from the eighties and nineties. Um, so so when I saw that, and when I made all of these friends, and they were still complaining about how hard it is to talk to people, and how you know, oh, they've been single for how long? I'm like, how is that possible? You attractive and, and 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 clever and funny and kind and this is and you're all here together and you're talking to one another and you're having exactly the same complaints that that i would have had before i knew any of this existed and so that really convinced me that this was a need in the community mm. and that, you know if you put somebody in in a context where the intention is to get to know people that things would just start to to run and flow on their own yeah it is it's, it's like you know like the touch paper and see what happens i think that's that give someone the opportunity to do that and they will but it, it can you know give them the platform to do it great but make them force them to do it it can be a bit difficult i mean like, what everything you've just said echoes my own experience Mm-hmm. of being interested in you know all these different things from let's say star trek buffy the vampire slayer and everything else on you know um in that area in the 90s and the 80s comics and everything and my parents and my you know even certain friends been like really you're not you know which football team do you support and i'm like well none really and they're like oh and you do you do you feel an out you know you, you do you sort of impose your, your own exile don't you and then I have to admit, it's only been really in the last sort of 10 years that I've been able to find that community, that, that sort of, you know, that you do. You go up to people, and I've been to cons on my own, and you'll be stood in a queue, and you'll sort of get your copy out of whatever because you're getting that signed, or you're going to see something else, and someone else will go, oh, yeah, that's brilliant, that is. And you'll spend half an hour having a conversation with someone, and you just go, well, that was pleasant, that was fantastic. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. That was uh... So, yeah, it is. It's a fantastic community. Um, so I, I think this is brilliant. I think this is this is exactly what it needs. It'll be. Uh, I hope it takes off in the best possible way. Yeah. Well, you and me both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then let's uh, um, so, let's uh, let's take our geekiness into the next step. Really, um, the the topic we're going to cover really in a roundabout way. I tried to think about how, if I could give it a title, but we sort of had a conversation about this the other day. Um, really. This this whole podcast is twentieth century geek is about pop culture and its origins in the twentieth century, uh, and we discussed around different things. And the one thing we started really talking about and got into and sort of had to stop ourselves a bit was actually the end of the twentieth century. 
Yeah, um, I confess, I, I, I shamefacedly uh, admit to the fact that I am a bit of a 21st century boy, uh, being the uh, tender age of only 28, it means that most of my childhood was really defined by the 2000s. Mm. Uh, but that said, obviously, my, my parents and my elder siblings and everything were very 80s and 90s focused. I would watch Star Trek with my dad and everything. And one of the things that really fascinates me is the transitions that happen uh, in, in popular culture that um, in some ways can inform sort of sort of like a like a historical perspective you know we, we, we always have secondary sources to try to figure out what was going on and looking at culture as a reflection of of history um, and so obviously my like I said my experience is of the the transitional years between the 20th century and the 21st and really there was some there was some very interesting changes going on around there and um you know what what we were talking about um essentially and what i imagine we're going to go into in just a Mm -hmm. second um is where the 20th century culturally ended and where the 21st began and um i think my conclusion um is is that those two things did not in any way happen simultaneously mm. um and and they certainly didn't happen on the 1st of January the year 2000 no no yeah i always find that quite interesting sort of you know like you said there's there's calendar decades um and then there's clearly like pop culture decades and there's always hangovers of you know the 80s clearly bled into the 90s and then like i said mm-hmm. the 90s clearly bled into the the 2000s um, yeah <laughs> one of the things that i love um i i really enjoy on you know when i when i don't need to pay too much attention when i'm cleaning around the house or something is to put on some very very old i say very old you know <laughs> 60s and 70s um british sitcoms mm-hmm. you know dad's army and are you being served and all of those you know the classics yeah uh, and i love the the shock on the face of my american friends when when they see how you know i mean the majority of it was in black and white and it was all so basic and it to them it seems as if the the 70s didn't make it to england yeah um, (laughs) far later you know i'm looking at i'm looking at a sitcom that was filmed in like 1973 and i think to myself this was a year before star wars why is this in black and white that's it yeah i think in britain if you if you to ask sort of americans i think that you know for britain it's uh, the 50s extended from 1950 to like 1984 it's uh yeah yeah but i also think there's there's an interesting thing in in that sense you know when when you I go back and I watch a lot of those. I'm, you know, I love like Porridge and um, some of the really good seventies ones. But there's a couple that stand out that like just don't work anymore. You know what I mean? There's mm. for many reasons. But there's one called um, Carry On. Oh god, the Carry On. I will be covering those at some point because I've got friends who keep asking. Oh, are you, you going to do them? I will. Oof. But um, <laughs> did, did you ever, have you ever seen a program called uh, Till Death Do Us Part with uh, Alf Garnet? No, I never did. So the idea is, it's basically uh, there was a, there was a, a re sort of do called uh, One Foot in the Grave much later um, mm. with, a, with a character called Victor Meldrew. 
but it's basically this grumpy, racist, bigoted old man from the sort of 60s and 70s. And it's on YouTube. Like, you can't get it. Do you know what? I think I actually saw a clip from it the other day. Yeah. It was just like a racist tirade with the with, with the, the title being like, this has not aged well. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> it's like, it's the, you know, the dad is sitting there going, oh, well, you know, what's wrong with the world these days? I've got the... I don't know why I'm doing a Yorkshire accent. That's probably <laughs> not fair. But it's, it um... is. I be, yeah, yeah, it is. Well, because I, I watched it recently. Like the BBC have almost like disowned it to an extent. Like you can't get it on DVD. I don't think that's thing. But if you find it on YouTube, just 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 Google or YouTube Alf Garnet or uh, Till Death Do Us Part. Some of the stuff in that, like some of the black facing and some of the language and some of the names, derogatory names used. Are, oh, oof! It's. <laughs> Yeah. See, I don't know. I don't know if we should let them off the hook by saying it was a different time, because I mean, post-war, you couldn't really look at bald-faced racism and say that it was harmless. No. Like, really, I mean, it was so fresh in everybody's minds. And as the fifties and sixties wore on, you know, the horrors of the Holocaust—not to bring the podcast down or anything—but they were very recent. And to think that. You know, well, it's all right. It's not. It's not as if anything bad could ever happen mm. from injecting this in into the into the culture. It, it just. It seems. I don't know. Naive. Well it, well, it was the thing is. What's really funny about it is the character of Afghan. It was the brunt of the jokes. He was like the Homer Simpson of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the time, so we had like a son-in-law that was uh, very art in the like the seventies uh, episodes. He has a son-in-law that's like you know very. Um, very 70s, you know, flares, long hair, sideburns, all that kind of stuff. And throughout it, like, he, he refers to him just basically as a pufter. <laughs> and you're thinking, yeah, but so they, they, he's the brunt of the joke because they're all like, oh my God, how, you know, how bigoted and old fashioned is he? That sort of thing. And the times are changing. And then in that episode, there's an episode where he gets on a train and um, an Asian, he gets in a cabin with an Asian gentleman, this Asian guy, and sort of like this a really awkward moment. Unfortunately, you know, because again, he is the brunt of the joke. Or his, his casual racism isn't acceptable, and sort of thing. But for the show, the irony is the Asian gentleman is played by Spike Milligan, a tall <laughs> white comedian in blackface. Oh dear! Yeah, that sort. Well, I think uh, almost almost every almost every comedy I can think of, and I I I could, I could probably come up with you know, half a dozen examples off the top of my head. Almost every comedy that I can think of is written with two completely separate audiences in mind. There's the audience that sees the satire and appreciates the irony and the sarcasm in it. And then there's the one who who don't see that and mm. um, and agree with all of it and think it's bloody hilarious. Um, and, uh, and, and I don't think that this sort of thing was any exception. They knew who they were playing to, the, mm. the enlightened and the unenlightened alike were enjoying it for completely different reasons mm. it's true it is it like you say it's like I say it's, i wonder whether um you know if you if you were to sort of re re-air that on bbc2 or some of the bbc channels you know if there wouldn't just be a massive uproar these days mm. um I think, again, again, again like you say some people some people wouldn't see past the joke to see the satire and then would you know, be an uproar about the way he, you know, the language and all that kind of thing. Yeah. It's a fine line. Yeah. 
<laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those. Sort of, so what sort of? So you're, you know, you're saying go and get back into geekdom. And actually, I do love the sitcoms, especially of that era. Um, so for for a 21st century uh, geek, what's your jam then? So what was the you know the 21st century things then that, uh, um, that you know to so see how they're different. Well, okay, well, the things that I loved, I mean, I'm a sci-fi guy mm-hmm. through and through, you know, I grew up, I grew up with the, with, with Star Trek and, um, later on, I think in university I was, I was, uh, even watching Battlestar Galactica as it came out and I have always loved science fiction for its, um, for its ability to, decontextualize current issues and treat them in isolation Mm. you know there's there's something going on and um a lot of the time what science fiction likes to do is to write parables that are and you know if it's very if it's badly written then it's completely transparent and it and it and it shows you know more like an episode of the west wing than anything else yeah but um which, by the way, is a brilliant show. Um, but, but, but really good sci-fi is always going to be um, based around these thought experiments that once you that, that make you think, that force you to consider this or that, and how it would um, how it would apply to um, you know to issues today. Mm. And I think that the twenty-first century was a heyday um for a lot of uh issues to come to the forefront because i think that what to me defines the 21st century at least as far as we have gone is a um a more serious approach to things than before i think we stopped having as much fun uh, Mm. as we did previously and and I can I can sort of go into my watershed theory, um, but but I think in the 21st century we kind of there there was a sense in at least a little bit of Hollywood and the television industry uh, that there was a responsibility of the producers and of the showrunners to try to challenge the audience and um, and 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 be active in in global affairs in in some way. Uh, so, so if I sort of go back to the original question, right? When did the 20th century end for most people culturally? And this doesn't necessarily mean in in popular culture, because I think that popular culture lags behind the the world by about five or ten years, because it yeah. takes it takes the the makers of it a while to get up to. Speed, and I'm sure we can talk about that plenty. But um, I, the, the 20th century, I think, what with it being dominated by global warfare, mm. um, ended in uh, 1989 when the Berlin Wall fell, and then in 91 when the Soviet Union dissolved. Um, there was this sense. I get, I get, I get this from my mother. Okay, she. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She has often turned to me and said, God, the, 
the nine what has happened to the world we all thought in the 90s that everything would be fine yeah and everything had finished the world wars were over the cold war was over um the you know the the, the yugoslav wars um gosh what, what when were they i think they might have been later i forget whether she uses that as the example of how everything went to pot again um and she she sort of cites this this time this period in history yeah it was it was at the end of the 90s that um i mean i mean at the at the beginning of the 90s so there was this this time in 19 between 98 and 91 where the world just seemed at peace. Mm. Do you know? It, it's, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was. It was a period of unity. It really was. I mean, the European project was, um, you know, getting getting underway properly. People were talking about the unified markets. Yeah. There was less war in Africa. There was, you know, America and Russia had called it quits and everything. And there was just this sense that we'd finally gotten on track. We're on our way to utopia. Um and I think that that is reflected very much in the media of the time. So mm. um, prior to that, in the in the 60s, 70s, 80s, it was very, very clear what was happening. There was Hollywood, which was a branch of the propaganda arm of the U.S. government or, you know, Western civilization as represented in, in art. And we always knew, you know, there were so many films over and over again where the enemy was clear and all we needed was a hero to rally behind. And there are so many heroes' tales, the, you know, archetypal story structure and a very clear good guy and a very clear bad guy. And that was a necessary, um, that was a necessary element during that time when there was so much uncertainty. Um particularly what with you know the hippie movement undermining that kind of narrative mm. where people were like these wars have been going on long enough and nobody even remembers what we're fighting for well, um, just to intercut there i mean you make a really good point and the thing i would say is to represent that to represent that in almost like a physical sense in the 80s uh, the thing i always think about for the 80s in that sense is the shift especially in action movies to almost like that physical representation of what is america so you have John Rambo, you have Rocky, you have all the characters that Arnie plays, or uh, you know Dolph Lundgren or, or Jean Claude Van Damme. The action movies of the eighties were the one man army. It was that really hulking guy that could take on an enemy, and like you say, it was a defined, a defined enemy, usually Russian. Yeah, usually Russian. Uh, um, <laughs> um, and I and I think that a little bit later on in you know, towards the end of the 90s and the early 2000s, um, there was a sense that those kind of stories just didn't really fly anymore mm. because we we couldn't relate as much to them. The Russian menace had, had more or less disappeared and Hollywood for a while kind of scrambled to try to find other easily categorised enemies um, you know, James Bond, after Goldeneye, ended up fighting the North Koreans in, what was it, um, Die Another Day? Yes. Yeah, Which yeah. was frankly terrible. Um, and, 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 and I think there was a lot of that where people were sort of scrambling to figure out how, uh, how to write things that people will care enough about to go out and pay a film ticket. Um, and we ended up with some really interesting 
films and some really interesting franchises that were oddly introspective that were about moral conflict and the role of war in society and things like that um as maligned as they are the prequel trilogy of star wars is pretty much a prime example of that they Mm. you know released in in 1999 was the first one um episode one the phantom menace uh, and the whole thing was politics. All three films. Sure, you have you know the, the the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker, but the whole thing and what what most people really hated about it because it was very very different from the original trilogy was that it was about trade disputes and yeah. politics and the machinations of power and the undermining of democracy and that's the kind of sort of post reaganite um way of of thinking of the preceding um of the preceding decade where war was less um was less of a threat and so we started looking instead of for an external enemy for for an enemy within oh i totally agree with that i think the 90s are replete with i think the the 90s that thing like the berlin wall comes down you know russia is no longer an enemy and i think america in particular you get that you that you said that period of unity that period of peace and then all of a sudden um you know and if i have any american listeners please don't take this the wrong way but it's a country that sort of like it likes to have, it likes to have an enemy, you know. And so when the when the population and when the, when the the media machine starts turning on its own government, you know, I mean, I just looked. Oliver Stone's JFA, JFK was nineteen ninety one. Oh yeah. You then get um, you know other similar things going on, but then you get like the X Files and other shows like that. That start turning on the American government and saying, "Well, yeah, the, 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 you know, the Cold War's over, but look at the government. Look what, look at all the naughty and dodgy things they've been up to for all these years." Yeah. Um, when was conspiracy theory? I have a look. The uh, Mel Gibson film. Yes. Oh, that, definitely in the nineties. I will check. Um, uh, Ninety-seven. There you go. Nineteen ninety-seven, yeah, and I, you know what? I don't. I don't think we even need to look at, at, at such. I mean, conspiracy theory again wasn't a particularly good film. <laughs> um, it's it's a bit niche there, and uh, I imagine there are a lot of people who haven't seen JFK. But the things that people did really invest in are the things that got going at that time. Mm. Uh, things like, as you said, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, where. Not only are there about three seasons dedicated almost exclusively to a shadowy government mm. organization, you know, messing things up and being irresponsible, but the very concept of vampires uh, in fiction is that they look like us, they trick us, they are us. Mm. When you're turned, you have the face of your fr- of of a friend. Um, it's very difficult to tell who is good and who is bad. And that is, I think, quite telling, that that was about the time when the whole sort of vampire mania really got Mm. going. 
but even more than that, and I, I'm I, I I love Buffy and I love Angel and anything to do with uh, with the Joss Whedon sort of universe. Um, I think that possibly a little bit prematurely, I'm sort of transitioning into the next bit, the beginning of the 21st century, which spoilers ahead, um, I believe, and I, I don't think it's a particularly controversial statement to say that the 21st century really got started um, at 9-11. Yeah. The tone of everything just just changed very, very quickly. The latter seasons of Buffy are very different from the earlier mm. ones. Everything got a lot darker, a lot more sinister. Um, and and it was it was a very unusual change. And I think that there was a bit of a split there, but there was certainly, you know, a watershed moment in, in two thousand one when when things changed again. So like I don't I don't really know into what category eighty nine to oh one really falls into. It's a bit sort of into war. But um but it's a it's a very interesting period of introspection, I think. Yeah, well, I think I think I, I honestly think you, you, there's a period you, you mentioned James Bond, and I think Bond's a really good example of of following that. That you know that you you had the Timothy Dalton Bond, which I think is massively underrated, um, and you get the Pierce Brosnan, and straight away in Goldeneye, which is like the first post Cold War Bond. That you get Judy Dench's M referring to him as you know uh, a dinosaur relic of the Cold War, so right. they're acknowledging it straight off the bat, and then you get this sort of series of Bond films throughout the nineties where they just not really sure what to do with him. I, I like Goldeneye because it works as a post Cold War spy film. Yeah, but then beyond that, the villains, or like you say, they go to go to the Koreans and they go to other things and they have to make things up. But there's always. I this... believe the enemy in one of them was oil. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> literally oil. <laughs> and then yeah, and then they actually have a media mogul as well, you know, and um, in one of them, mm-hmm. which I think is you know is like, like I said, there's worlds not enough. Tomorrow never dies, and that I like Pierce Brosnan as Bond, but I think they are some of the worst, me- most meandering Bond films because they're just they're never sure who the enemy should be. If if it weren't for the utter brilliance of Goldeneye, I think that the whole Pierce Brosnan um, tenure would would be seen a lot less kindly. Yes, I I totally agree. Um, and then you said that, you know so he stops his you know that that sort of period ends, and then the post, but they're all bombastic. I mean they you know, they still hold that thing and they're all looking for an enemy, and then you have nine eleven and all of a sudden you get smaller, sort of more gritty spy films like the Jason Bourne trilogy and, mm. um, you know, even to this day, you've had, you know, you've actually had a successful Tinker Tailor Soldier spy film where there's a much harder look at um, intelligence agencies. Nothing. There's a, there's a, there was a programme, in fact, I'm going to check it out. There was a programme, a British programme, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, called Spooks. Yes, I, I remember Spooks. God, that was good. Yeah, that's what I mean. It was a great show. I haven't seen it for a long time. Um, I watched the uh, the f- the film version of it um, not too long ago, which is quite good. Here you go. So it started in 2002. So it started on BBC One in 2002. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, again, it's a, it's a true... It's about... You know, it's, it's that thing of... It's not bombastic. It's not one-man spy going off to take on the whole enemy... 
it's all about the intelligence gathering and the sort of like you know the more gritty sort of thing and i think post 911 there was almost a i almost want to say a guilt at you know oh we've been doing this for years the sort of like the 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 one man army thing for so long and then this this happens and it's almost like a you know we've got to support our troops but we need to show the truth maybe i don't know yeah no, i i think i think that um <sighs> the war in afghanistan was largely popular so there was a couple of years between 2001 and 2004 where things did a little bit go back to basics. And I think that Bond is a really good example of how it, it lags a little bit behind because there was a discomfort with this that that happened, particularly um, when the Iraq war started and sort of the media and everybody else realized that it wasn't a particular popular, a particularly popular um, uh, thing, thing to be happening, right? Mm. Uh, there was extremely divided opinion on whether we, you know, that there should be a war in Iraq at all. Um, and that, in 2005, was when we got Daniel Craig. Mm. So, during the Pierce Brosnan years, um, I think that the Broccolis were holding on to a more classic interpretation of James Bond, the formula mm. that had been working for them for you know, nigh on 30, 40 years, God knows. Um, and, and then they caught up with it. And the Daniel Craig tenure has been very, I mean, it's a very different tone, mm. unquestionably. And even you don't, uh, I, I mean, I mean, look at Batman, right? I was just looking at Batman, 2005. <laughs> 2005. We, we went from my, oh no, no, we didn't. No, I'm completely right. I was going to say Michael Keaton. Uh, we had Val Kilmer and George Clooney in between. But they were all silly and fun yes. and so impossibly 90s that it was, I mean, it's iconically so. You don't need to look any further than Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze to see what the 90s were about. Yeah. It was when we were just being silly. We were having fun. And then... The Nolan trilogy, I mean, part of it, a very big story point, I believe, in uh, Dark Knight, was about electronic surveillance. Yes. Yeah. You're not... And that was a real moral quandary, right? They, they stand there and they say, oh, I've turned every cell phone in the city into a into a sonar device and I can see everything that happens. I'm like... I, and, 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 and there is a, a real moral dilemma that happens and Morgan Freeman says, you know, nobody should have this kind of power. Mm. Note, this is years before, um, you know, the prism revelations and Edward Snowden and all of that. Well, this, I think this is I think really weird. Look at the, the Nolan trilogy in, in um, you know, in a retrospect. It's one of those things where you if you look at them as films, yes, you can critique them and that sort of thing. Is You know, they've all got flaws, but they're all brilliant. I really enjoyed the trilogy. But... You're right. I mean, 2005, we get a much grittier, uh, realistic take on the Batman. Batman Begins. And it is clearly a representation of, like, one man can make a difference. You know, it's that thing of, like, being a symbol of hope. How can you be a symbol of hope in this era? Mm. Um, and then you get this sort of, like, the Dark Knight. Again, sort of, they all touch into some sort of, um, you know, some sort of cultural touchstone. Dark Knight is, a, is a, at the end of it, like you say, it's that thing about surveillance, but also about the Joker representing that sort of the the ease with which the a population will turn on itself. Mm. 
Mm. You know, you, well, why so serious? It's almost like he's almost asking the question of everybody. Why so serious? Well, this was bound to happen. This is your own fault. Yeah. And then, like I say, you get to the Dark Knight Rises, and it's almost about the one percenters. You know, <laughs> it, it's it's Bane leading the people, or that the you know the rest against the rich, and sort of bringing Gotham to its knees and this other stuff, and Batman mm. being the ultimate one percenter. <laughs> Bane um, as Bernie Sanders. Interesting. <laughs> oh, I'm sure somebody has YouTubed that before. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, you're, you're definitely right. I think the 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 things that I the, the things that I focus on, as I said before, was um, was science fiction and how that was developing during the time. Mm. And in the the um, the next generation Star Trek mm. um, start as if I have to specify mm-hmm. um, no the next generation Degrassi <laughs> was um, started in 1987 and I think that as as usual you know most science fiction is a little bit ahead of the curve and they were trying to you know preach utopia and there were some there were some interesting storylines and everything like that but um, the, the the best moments of it of of next gen were in that sort of interwar period of self-reflection and the the freedom the space to really think deeply about how we do things and and what we've learned from the previous decades but then when 2001 came along we were you know in the midst of deep space nine Mm -hmm. and and then later enterprise and the tone from later ds9 versus early TNG um, is is so completely different. And my absolute favorite, you know, yell at me all you like, listeners. Um, my, my favorite um, Star Trek is Deep Space Nine. I think that the, the narrative, the, the broad story arcs in the later seasons of, of the Dominion Wars and all of that was so fascinating and so... I mean, it really delved into the realities of war and how, you know, intelligence gathering and, and, and the, the, the moral quandaries that come up, you know, how much of our soul are we willing to, to sacrifice in order to win for the greater good, etc. You know, it was, it was so much of that, and I really appreciated it, that all that was happening. And that bled straight into the 2000, 2004... Battlestar Galactica, and that was as post nine eleven as it gets. Yes, I mean yeah. it starts off with the eradication of civilization. That's not really a spoiler. It happens in the first fifteen minutes. <laughs> um, and what we as humans have to, you know, how we deal with that, how we deal with an attack, how we deal with a war that is invisible, how we deal with existential threats and the enemy within and, you know, the suspension of, you know, what the, the questions that arise when people are desperate, not just to survive, but, but also to maintain their humanity, right? You, one of the most interesting episodes I thought was um, the one that revolved around reproductive rights, when there are so few humans left Mm. how do we how do we feel about birth control that is a really freaking good question yeah right and it's it's it challenged our um all of our opinions i think Mm. it it 
it, it pushed it pushed progressivism to its breaking point mm. with asking those kinds of questions being like all right when push comes to shove and when it really really matters what side like where do you stand where will you stand and that is i, I think you know extremely representative of the kind of media we had in the 21st century mm. um once people had gotten used to the idea of okay there is war um we turned in on ourselves in 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 a way that that i don't think um was really very common in in the 20th century when everything was very clear cut I think, right. yeah, no, I do, and I think it's bizarre. I think there's, see, I, I actually think there's something interesting happening. I would say from about two thousand eight ish to now, in in a, based on what you're saying, during the Second World War, there's a, there's a reason that superheroes dominate dominated the comic industry um, from the forties onwards, and why certain superheroes sort of dominated, and a big part of that actually is the Second World War. So it acted as escapism. It you you know it's sort of all these other things. But you have superhuman or you know uh, big larger than life characters taking on an enemy. So you will actually have the famous picture of uh, Captain America punching Hitler, or yeah. the picture of Superman with the eagle on his arm whilst he's waving the American flag, or you know so on and so forth. There's all these images and all these things, and that's why they made it big, and that's why the comics industry sort of grew out. You know, superheroes really took off. By, um, you know, let's say the first part of the 21st century, we had several things happen. We had, like I say, you had 9-11, which resulted in, I think, this sort of the, this reflection and respect, you know, um, turning inwards to look at ourselves, which you get the more gritty, uh, realistic approach to things. And, and we get some fantastic television out of it and some great movies. And then we go to war. And for a large period of time, you know, we are at war and it's almost like we have a moral crusade much like the start of the first world war uh, sorry the second world war it starts to turn and excuse my phrasing for this it may be a little inappropriate but it all turns a little bit vietnam later on uh i mean yeah absolutely 2004 2005 um yeah the the level of protest against the war was extremely reminiscent of 67 to 69 and that's when you start to get, you know, you start to get, um, I'm, and I'm thinking about, you, you know, you get things like, the, you get a mix, a real mix. And I think like, you know, um, you say you've got the Batman trilogy, you get a, a Battlestar Galactica, a Bond, um, taking a different tranche. Several years later, people's war weariness and desire to escape from that, and you get Iron Man in 2008, and all of a sudden you get back to colourful, clear-cut, well, relatively clear-cut, superheroes against pretty clear-cut bad guys. Mm-hmm. And it's that thing of, like, I see enough complicated politics and craziness on the news and in real life, I need something I can support. And I, I really think that's that's one of the bigger reasons why the MCU and everything has taken off. It's pure escapism. Yeah. Well, even there... I, I, I think we can see a little bit of this. I, I, I really like, um, you know, you, you look at the Avengers films, mm. and in the first Avengers movie, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, there are too many of them to count, so I'll go for the big ones, right? The Avengers, the first one, 
um, not Captain America, but the Avengers, um, they were fighting aliens. Mm-hmm. Aliens are easy. This is an easy narrative. We know who to support. The, they, were, they were very, very ugly, and everybody else was very pretty, and we had a lovely big fight scene at the end, and it was awesome. Yeah. The second Avengers film was fighting against our own creation. Ultron was a consequence of the previous war right he yes. was so 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 that's dealing with consequences and i think that there was a lot of that um in in the second film in terms of how they were how they were dealing with you know civilian casualties and all of that and now we've had captain america civil war where the enemy is ourselves in mm. the most literal sense the team is split apart because they don't agree on the morality of the way in which they fight and save the world and just seeing that progression from clear enemy consequences and internal conflict um i think shows really where we are as time goes by and it's it's kind of it's it's indicative i think very much of how the public reacts to a long drawn out war yeah um no matter no matter what war that may be it, it goes from all right we're doing this it's our duty to support our troops to support our country uh whether or not we like it you know we we, we need to uh acknowledge that it's happening and be on the side of right followed by how sure are we that our methods that our um that our approach is going to be isn't going to have extremely negative consequences and then finally we get into this war weariness where it kind of all devolves into infighting where where nobody can decide how any of it is going to end Mm. because of course i mean the the good old days of warfare in the early 20th century where there was a clear end and beginning to things is long behind us and there i mean war has has changed so radically in the last 50 years that most of the time you don't like there hasn't been a formal declaration of war made in 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 decades Mm -hmm. um and so we never know where things end and we never know how what the exit strategy is and it's all very confused and confusing and and i think we see that really clearly it's it's, it's it's funny you say, that that analogy. Uh, uh, there's there's no there's no there's no guy at work, and he sort of he had a really great analogy for how he sees. We were talking about the the war in the Middle East and that sort of thing, and he says he remembers the first Gulf War and sort of, you know and earlier than that, like the Falklands and those sorts of things, and like how there was a very clear cut structure to it. Like you say, there was a declaration of war, troops turned up, they had a fight. Until someone agreed, you know, someone surrendered or they gave up or whatever, and then there was a, you know, an agreement to peace, and then there was the the peace talks afterwards. Uh-huh. He says at the moment, he says it's a little bit like kids playing football in the park. He says people all turn up, it's a rabble, and then people sort of drop off, and the last one to leave takes the ball home, and that's the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, there used to be goals. Yeah. You know, in in. In, in, in the first Gulf War, we knew that there was an invasion of Kuwait. Kuwait needed to be not invaded, and once it wasn't invaded anymore, that was the end of it. Mm. You know, Falklands was a simple fight over territory, and that resolved, and that was the end of that, you know. Uh, it's and, and that's usually been the format. Um, as crass as this is, 
get ready for it, guys. I'm, I'm bracing. Um, it, it feels like we're in the middle of a of a marathon game of uh, of Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no there's no end. We just keep going, and everybody gets more and more horrible. Yeah. And and you know the only time when something kind of ends, when does the game end? It's when everybody kind of agrees that we're really sick of this by now. <laughs> yeah, the beer's gone, and uh, it, I'm tired, and I want to go home. Yeah. Oh, this is so much more of a grim conversation than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, and the thing is, like we say, but when you when you look at that in in um especially if you're looking sort of like what's popular now that thing of sort of like ongoing you know almost unending um bleakness as you, as you say you've got things like the walking dead and i'd even say like game of thrones because it's just like really yes i know there's going to be an ending and that sort of thing but the machinations and the sort of game playing and backstabbing and that could go on and on and on and on for generations and it could be just as good television but there is no real end to those sorts of things they just go on well actually i think there is an end to it you look at it all and you say okay as entertaining as this is the white walkers are coming and nobody's paying attention there is an end and every single one of you will die there's no there's no point to any of it so as much fun as we're having watching you guys stab each other in the back, there's no point to any of it. So does that mean... Okay, because what I'm thinking now is, right, you say, you say that, I mean, you talked about... We mentioned Civil War before, and yep. we're going to get Infinity War uh, next year. And again, the point of that clearly is going to be, here is this intergalactic being that can destroy us all, so let's forget our petty differences and take on this. Are, are we suggest- about right. Yeah, are we suggesting then that really we need a bigger, badder enemy? Is this is this the Watchmen ending? <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't know. It's it, it's. We, we, I mean, to be fair, it, it made me think. You know, recently there was a there was a thing in the news. I don't know if it's been changed since, but the, the Doomsday Clock got knocked up a um, a minute. I think. Okay. Oh dear. Uh, it was about three. It was about two or three months ago. But I, and there was no, as you know, the news never reports good news. So if it went back to sort of like you know, better, uh, they yeah. didn't report on that. But the Doomsday Clock went up a minute, and it did. I did have that sort of um, that Watchmen moment where I was a bit like, oh, um, at what point does anyone decide this is actually all very silly and there's better things to be doing? I don't. I don't know. I think there's been a a bit of a shift. The, these days, the things that are being produced feel a little bit more directly post nine eleven. The, mm. the 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 patriotism and sort of jingoism of um, of rallying together because for for the last decade or so, the the enemy in quotes has been so amorphous and difficult to identify, and we've had now two or three years of IS mm. um, out there in the world, and they are so cartoonishly evil yeah yes that it's unambiguous any right thinking person is going to say these people are awful and that's something we can all get behind and 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 so i think that ought to be a flashpoint for a rallying point excuse me Mm. 
um, for the world. Uh, and yet, <laughs> if low, if life reflected fiction, um, we still seem to be involved in all kinds of petty squabbles. And by now, I think media is getting pretty damn aspirational, just mm. hoping that you know the. <laughs> Do you, do you know what I mean? I, I do. I agree. I think it's it's when you talk of you know ISIS or and, and as, as a villain, it's um, and again, I think in for want of I wish my vocabulary or my understanding was better, but there always needs to be the new Nazi, that that villain, that that enemy to focus on. That that you know, like you say, and and it is it's true that, that there needs to be a unifying force with which to fight against. Um, and until there are no enemies, um, and then what do you do? But yeah, I, I can feel it. You know, in, say in the in modern media, it's um, or modern pop culture, um, we do feel a little bit behind, maybe in that respect, because the, um, are we still focused on post nine eleven? Is it, are we waiting for that next event to sort of turn us again? I don't know. I think that things um, things have gotten a little bit too bleak, even for even for the media. Yeah. Um, because if we look at the things that have really made an impact in the last few years, uh, what we get is an endless supply of nostalgia. Mm. Right. So, in Game of Thrones, we have good old fashioned fantasy. That's mm-hmm that's always been around and you can always have it but it's been shows like mad men Mm. um that you know harken back to the early 60s and we've had uh, peaky blinders and we've had just show after show after show film after film that have been set i mean period pieces are nothing new but the the popularity and the scope of some of the things we've seen lately really does seem like a, a a way of escaping because even even the the silly battles in superhero films are just a little too real. Yeah, they're getting there. Yeah. Well, it's weird you say about fantasy and stuff because I think fantasy is sort of like seeping into that sort of um, to other shows in the sense of. Oh, see, Game of Thrones is, is is gritty and you know gruesome and that sort of thing. But there's been two shows that have been on this year or recently that um, highlight to me that because you're getting the good quality TV shows, but they're so like crazy off the wall that they're almost do you can sort of say do they have a message or whatever. But the first one is Preacher. Haven't haven't watched it. And the second one is the uh, the American Gods. Um, TV show based on the right. you know, game of Marvel, and they say about nostalgia. They say the you know game of uh, American Gods is very much about about the old versus the new, mm-hmm. um, but it's done in such a way that it's it's all set within this world that really politics has got nothing to do with it. Um, you know, it's not about old. It is sort of like well, old is better, but then there's this idea of like yeah, but you've got to adapt. You know, so it's not saying that well, old is better or new is better. It's like no, no, you've just got to adapt. That's how it works. Um, times yeah. change, you get on with it. But it's a great show, and the same with Preacher. Preacher's 
you know, it's got its own messages about family and faith and all this other stuff. But it's batshit crazy and it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it. I guess I'll have to. It's, um, it's well worth a watch. It's crazy, but it's very, very good. I'll, I'll admit that I, um, I read American Gods and didn't enjoy it very much, so I haven't watched the, uh, haven't watched the show. But I've heard good things. Mm. So yeah, no. So, so really, so the let's just do an overview then of sort of two thousand or let's do you know to now seventeen years, in you know in your for your um, your pop culture um, history. Mm-hmm. What what are the sort of the high points then for you? What are the things that really stand out for you then in that period? Hmm. I mean. Battlestar Galactica, without a doubt, definitely. It was, yeah, yeah. it was, it was so good, and second half of the third season, notwithstanding, um, and um, I think, oh, I don't know because I'm, 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 I'm a, a bit of a political junkie, so mm. you know, West Wing and. Um, House of Cards, I think, are sort of must-watch for anyone who, you know, takes an interest in in current affairs and how the world actually works. Um, and they were, they are both brilliant. But unfortunately, like these days, I can't really watch either because it cuts a little too close to the bone. Yeah. Um. It's. I don't know. Let's. Here's 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 an interesting example. Seventies, um, eighties, nineties sitcoms. Go back to where we started, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, very formulaic. Very um, compartmentalized. Each episode, you know, introduction of a problem, hilarious consequences ensue, conclusion, everything's back to normal. Yeah. Uh, usually shot in four cameras simple recognizable sets very clear characters we know who everybody is Mm -hmm. and then in the 21st century and i don't remember exactly when this actually happened uh like when it started oh there goes my dog um i don't i don't remember exactly when this happened i think it was in about 2003 um when when Scrubs began, a, a, a sitcom that almost unprecedentedly was shot in one camera. Yeah. Um, no laugh track. Uh, they hit some uh, some some really poignant emotional um, emotional points. There was a lot of drama mixed in with with the with the laughs. Mm. Um, and and most importantly i think there were broader arcs throughout the seasons that you would usually only get in in drama series or in films where you could tell an extended story over the over the course of a of a season and obviously now that's been taken to it to its extreme with with shows like true detective and american horror story etc um you know anthology shows even things like black mirror which by the way absolutely a high point of of you know the last decade fantastic 
Um, but but I think that that really is representative of the kind of um, the shift that we see, not not just technologically, because I mean we've had dollies and walk and talks for as long as as long as cinema has been around. So it's not as if they developed something new that allowed them to to do it in this format. But it was a m- more um, mature feel to it so that we're not just escaping and hanging out and having a laugh but we're actually living in someone's life Mm. and seeing it from their perspective and and i think that um and and i think that that really does sort of typify the shift from a 20th century to a 21st century perspective um in Yeah, that's the end of my sentence. No, no, I think it's, I think you know. I'm just looking now. October, October 2001, Scrubs started. And I think you're totally right. Looking at, it, I mean, I, I loved Scrubs. I watched at least the first six, I think six, seven seasons, and then I sort of trailed off a little bit. But yeah, well, every every show gets stale after a while. Yeah, but it's. I right. haven't watched The Simpsons in a decade, even though I mean. No, I don't know who does. I don't know. It's still going. I'm still not sure who <laughs> watches that show anymore. Uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, there's. Um, it's. I think really every, everything we've talked about, really the the thing that keeps coming back to my mind about sort of twenty first century, um, all these things, even from Scrubs, so, you know, every, it's the fact that everything has consequences. Mm. If I go back to, um, you know, you said about sort of. Um, I'm gonna go back to the Marvel universe, but like you said, you know, you get Iron Man, which is pretty clear cut. All the that Phase One is pretty clear cut of like good guy, bad guy. You get the up to the Avengers, which is very Saturday morning TV kind of deal. It's it's fantastic, but then over and over and over that 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 sort of moment in time, um, you know, what do they call it? The event or the incident, the New York fight. Yeah. Is there 9-11 and it had consequences that have had ramifications ongoing throughout all the TV shows, whether it be Daredevil or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or the, t- the films. There's always consequences. And it's the same like with Bond. So like Casino Royale is still having consequences in the later Bond films and so on and so yeah. forth. It's But if you go back to, say, other franchises pre-2000, each one was a uh, closed loop. So lethal weapon one through four, each one is a closed loop where they can blow stuff up, they can kill people, and it doesn't seem to impede their careers or their, <laughs> they get prosecuted or anything. Yep. Or anything, you know, the same with every Rambo film or Arnie film, that they can do things. Die Hards. Yeah, John McClane should not be a cop by Die Hard Three. <laughs> <laughs> like he has clearly got problems beyond you know whatever. Indiana Jones. Another one, yeah. You know, he his tenure at that Harvard University must be under question. You know, when he's never there and always being chased by uh, Nazi soldiers, but there's no consequences, and all of a sudden, I think that's it. There's a realization that actually things happen and have consequences. Yeah. So that's no, the that's lesson. A, for... I, th- I, th- I think you've. Yeah, I, I really like that. I really like that. So, I think we. Lo- I think I've learned a lesson. I've, I've, we've, we've gone deep. We've gone deep on this. <laughs> And it's been brilliant. It's been fantastic. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, on that lesson then, I think we should, we'll, we'll wrap up the conversation. Um, and I'll say, Ori, it's been fantastic. Thank you very much for spending the time with me this evening. 
Thank you. And uh, where can people find you uh, on the Twitters and everything else? And uh, anything else you want to promote? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, we are, again, just to you know, remind everybody from an hour ago when we mentioned yeah. it, uh, Dragonfruit, the dating app for geeks, by geeks, absolutely free, available on Google Play and the Apple App Store. Um, and you can just search for them or you can find links to the store pages at dragonfruitapp.com. Com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, Proj Dragonfruit. That's P R O J, as in project. Um, we're on Facebook at uh, Dragonfruit App and um, all the other, uh, you know, social, Instagram, etc. Um, as a side note, uh, we have our blog on dragonfruitapp.com, which, apart from discussing the intersection between geekiness and um, and sort of romance and relationships, uh, we write about all kinds of things uh, related to just geekdom in general. Uh, so uh, it's kind of just an outlet for me quite often to <laughs> sort of spout my film theory um, and put it somewhere for somebody to take a look at. So um, we work very hard on it, and we've got some really brilliant writers uh, who who are kind enough to contribute, and we've got uh, some great artists who draw some pretty amazing things. So I would highly recommend that people check out our blog, which is at dragonfruitapp.com slash blog but there's a button on the main page obviously Excellent. and that's 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 all of it i think download it completely free um oh and uh, let us know what you think right um totally. our team is a small team we are not many and we are here to try to build an app that is the absolute best that it can be and that is serving the geek community the way that it it deserves to to be served so we're very available i answer most emails personally that we get or you can write to us um through the app itself uh but like give us suggestions tell us what problems you're having what should be different we thrive on feedback and um you know if we can if you if you want to see something let us know we'll do our best to to make it happen for you um i i want I want Dragonfruit to be as um, user-driven as is humanly possible because, you know, I want you guys to have exactly what you want. Brilliant. I hope they do. If you're listening, try it, have a look, and let them know. Feedback. And talking of blogs, um, not only are you contributing to the show today, uh, you've written something for us as well. So you are going to be on the 20thCenturyGeek.com blog as well this week. Uh, yeah, that's so, right. So, um, uh, we'll cover some of the points that uh, that we discussed today. Yeah. Uh, hopefully not too verbose. No, no, it'd be great. So as soon as you're happy with that, send it over, and uh, I shall let you know when this is going to go out. Outstanding. But uh, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And, uh, Cheers, you too. And uh, we'll catch up again. Thanks very much. All right. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Okay, that was Ori from Dragonfruit. So what a cracking conversation. I really wasn't expecting that. Um... Didn't know it was going to go. Wasn't really much sure what the topic. It was, but it's good to get outside of your comfort zone every now and then and think about these things. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Um, any feedback? Any thoughts? Um, I'm probably going to feed this back to a couple of other uh, geeky and nerd sites to see what their thoughts are and see if I can get some feedback. Um, but again, echoing Ori's words, uh, please check out Dragonfruit if you're looking for love or just looking for friends. 
Uh, it's a great place to start. It's on the internet. Just Google it. It's, the apps are out there on iOS, on iPhone, the whole works. Um, and for 20th Century Geek, uh, thank you. If you want to get in contact with us, I'm on the Twitters, at 20th Century Geek. Uh, Facebook, again, just look for 20th Century Geek. Instagram, uh, everything else. But uh, if you want to email me, it's 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com. Um, and check out the blog on 20thCenturyGeek.com slash blog. And the episodes will be out there soon. Subscribe. Give me a review. Five stars is wonderful. Um, and I'll see you guys next week. Next week, I don't know who it will be. It depends who turns up to speak first. But we've got some crackers coming up for the summer holidays. So we've just had this, talking about the 21st century. Uh, it was rather grim. It was rather gritty. It got rather political. It was brilliant. Uh, it may not be that in-depth in the future. Uh, I'm going to be speaking to uh, my good friend Mike, uh, and uh, often co-host, uh, about the video nasties of the 70s and 80s. That may get a little political. Uh, I'm going to be talking to the lads from Super Shakes once again about 90s cartoons. Uh, some crackers in there. I've already started Googling that one. I'm going to be talking to a uh, host of another podcast, Stacy's Parlour. Uh, about the fantastic Heroes in a Half Shell from the 1980s, the Turtles. Uh, and then finally, who else? Let's think. Who else? Oh, my good friend Kim, who joined me to talk about Child's Play. She is going to be coming to join me and talking about 10 years of Tarantino. That's 1990 to 1999. 10 years of Tarantino. So, each of those people are going to be joining me on the show to talk about their favourite subjects or the subjects they've nominated. And they will also be writing a blog to accompany it. So... Enjoy. This is going to be sort of the summer of love, the summer of geek. Uh, and then we're going to go on to some other things. And so enjoy the week, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks very much.